There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to the Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi, I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honoured to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Sean Tyler Foley is an accomplished film and stage performer and has been acting in film and television since he was six years old after his father passed away suddenly in a motor vehicle accident. He's appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He's currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. With his distinct and direct style, Tyler is emerging as one of North America's sought-after leaders in the field of public speaking for personal and professional development. I absolutely loved hanging out with Tyler and he was definitely a great sport by allowing me to take the conversation wherever I liked and to have so much fun. The more we explored in our time together, the more alike we realised we were. I hope you smile and laugh from this magical experience. Welcome, Tyler, to The Ethical Evolution. Oh, thank you for having me, Bindi. It's a joy and a pleasure to be here. Now, you're joining us all the way from Canada, and I am going to share with our audience that it is a stupid hour of the morning where you are, and I am so <laughs> appreciative to have you here with us right now. And can I just say, the fact that it's 3 a.m., you are looking magnificent. Thank you. I moisturize and drink lots of water. <laughs> Look at you go. For you to notice, I appreciate it. <laughs> now, for people who don't know who you are, I mean, gosh, I know who you are. You've been in, in all of my circles for I don't know how long. But um, for people who don't know you and have not heard of you, please go ahead and tell us. Well, my name is Tyler Foley. Professionally, I go by Sean Tyler Foley, and that is when I'm either on stage or acting in film and television, which is usually the first thing people need to know that I have been a actor and performer for almost four decades. I started on stage at six years old and have been performing on stage, film and television for the past 37 years. Do the math really quick. I will let your audience catch up. Mm. Mm. I'm doing it. uh, I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. uh, Currently, I am a father, a husband, a son, a lifelong performer, seeker of warm beaches and a lover of fine chocolates and the author of the current number one mm. best-selling book, mm. The Power to Speak Naked. He just showed a, a, a bare naked uh, book, guys. So, uh, yeah, we'll yeah. talk more about that in a sec. Uh, but um, can I just say, I, I've just done the math and um, you and I are almost the same age and uh, that uh, hydration and moisturising uh, routine is working for you. 
Thank you. I think we both look fantastic for 25. <laughs> well, thank you very much. You need to work on your math. <laughs> I do. I do. It, it's been that long since I've been in a math class. <laughs> now, um, okay, you know, like I have spoken to many celebrities around the world and are friends with many. Um, and, you know, that's the thing that people cling to, right? They're kind of like, oh, how can I get my claws into a celebrity? or, you know, someone who's in the limelight, mm. I'm not about that. I'm about the person, the soul underneath all of that. And the same with you, Tyler. Like there's going to be people out there who are curious. They're going to want to know, all right, where you been, what you done? Tell us. Uh, the <clears throat> Yes, I have a, a lengthy and extensive uh, resume of playing characters whose names have numbers in them. So, <laughs> oh, no, I, not yeah. that in the credits. Hey. No. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. It, it's great. I, you know, uh, student number one mm. and, and Dead various body number things. two. No. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I actually, I did, I, I have played a dead body no. twice. It's actually, that's actually one of my favorite gigs to do. Really? Um, can yeah. you please tell me that process? Because I am so curious about it. Like, seriously, I like I watch a lot of stuff and I really do wonder how people get that role and how it is to like just act like you're dead. Um, it's it's, uh, it's remarkably easy. You take a nap <laughs> and then try not to breathe too deeply. Um, I, it, the, uh, the first time I got to play a dead body was uh, for a Canadian series um, called – uh, da Vinci's inquest. Mm. And I got it around the same time that I got another role with a similar cop drama called, uh, cold squad. And, um, the one I was drug flushing kid. So take note <laughs> that another one of my very, very, very famous, well-known roles. Um, and, uh, and this one was, um, dead male hooker. Oh, hello. Yeah. And, yeah, it was good. And the, you know, taking place in the Lower East Side of Vancouver. Mm. And um, so I remember the audition. Um, they, they, you just had to like talk, uh, like tell a story to the producer. It, it, like there was like really nothing to it because what are you going to do? And they kind of took a picture and, you know, they're like, okay, now close your eyes. <laughs> so you close your <laughs> eyes. And they figure out what you're going to look like if your eyes aren't open. And, um, uh, the irony is actually in the scene, I did have to keep my eyes open. I was, I was dead and in a, in a tub. And they, the idea was that they had come in and found me uh, two or three days after passing. And then, so really the, the hardest part of it was sitting through, um, full body makeup and staying in the water. Mm. Um, the, cause so first of all, it was waterproof makeup so that I could be in the water. Uh, and they like, cause they made me blue and kind of like added like mm. veins and like I was going through rigor. And then the real hard part was um, literally just keeping still and staying comfortable in in the water because the water, mm. although the um, uh, props and department and set deck department did a really good job of initially adding warm water to said tub. Uh, after a couple of hours of filming, it was just it was regular new lukewarm. <laughs> and then there was a second scene where I was in the morgue. And so that was, that was the question they didn't ask mm. Tyler, 
are you claustrophobic? The answer is no, but it's a Ugh. good thing they found that out beforehand because then they had to like zip me into the bag. Oh and, man, like, no way. Into the drawer. And they're like, okay, so uh, in you go. And I'm like, okay, mm. in I go. Um, so that was, uh, that was creepy, but I have again, made a, a career of squeezing myself into very small, tiny spaces. <laughs> One of the, uh, first, uh, jobs that I had professionally as an adult in theater was doing the, um, the resident production of ragtime in Vancouver. And it was 14 months. And I initially, I started out as the Houdini stunt double no way. where I was literally just part of the magic trick. And I had to like compress myself into a, a, a space inside of a box that was barely, barely eight inches thick. And, you know, I got the role cause I was a wee tiny lad. And then they found out that I could actually sing and dance uh, because I would sing along with the chorus at the beginning <laughs> of the opening act of the second act. And, uh, um, I ended up becoming a swing in that. And then by the end of the production, I was actually able to play Houdini, which was like, um, super ironic to come full circle with that, to like start as the double and then actually be the guy who's the face of the magic. Wow. So. My gosh. I mean, wow. There's so many things to pull apart there, but I mean, you know, like just, oh, wow. Imagine being a Houdini, uh, double. And um, fitting into that space, like there's so many metaphors for that too, right? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. And and uh, one of the the big lessons I learned was don't eat big meals before <laughs> doing your job. A bit. There's 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 time after the show mm. for food. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Save that for later because uh, confined spaces are not good for that. No. <laughs> Oh, or the spandex and, and, and mm. interesting leotard outfit thing that they had me put in. It was beautiful, actually. It was like um, purple and red crushed velvet. Ooh. It was actually really cool. I, I, I actually enjoyed my wardrobe. That was a, a, an amazing production to be involved with, too. Like, um, everybody involved in that show was world class. And it was just a really, really fun um, production to, to get to be involved with. I, again, one of those things where I just happen to be the right place at the right time and, and luck out, you know, and the funny thing is, is like, that was an, again, one of those auditions where, uh, literally the, the first part of it, uh, unlike the, uh, dead body, <laughs> Um, was, can you fit in the, in the box? Cause they had, they brought, I think there was like 10 or 12 of us. And they brought a whole bunch of, uh, like proper, proper stunt performers. Mm. And, um, I remember a buddy of mine, Rick Moore and I got it. And then there was, uh, another, uh, woman and I can't, I, I, to this day, I don't remember her name. She's French Canadian girl. And she was even smaller than I was. Mm. And the three of us were the only ones who could actually fit into the box. And um, she ended up going back to Quebec midway through the production. I think she wanted to, uh, She, I think she was chasing a, a girlfriend and you know, <laughs> probably young had PTSD love. from I, the box. No, <laughs> yeah, a little PTSD from the box. She didn't go. So originally we were like splitting uh, the time three ways. Mm. And then it was just me and Rick. Uh, did it. And then, uh, like I said, at the end of the run, I ended up 
getting to play Houdini and then Rick was my double, which set off um, a, a really interesting chain because Rick ended up being like my actual stunt double on more than one occasion on a couple of different shows where he would he would double me if I was acting and, and they needed a stunt double, which I always thought was fun because I always got to stunt double other people. Mm. Um, the, my most favorite um, that I got to was the um, late Anton Chekhov. Uh, he, uh, or Yelchin, Anton Yelchin, uh, he played Chekhov in, um, in Star Trek uh, before he passed away. And he did a show called Jack, and I was uh, initially his photo double and stand-in on set. And there was a scene um, in the in the movie where he gets mad at his dad. So his dad and his mom um, are divorced. And uh, he had to... Um, he ends up jumping out of the boat and swimming to shore because he just doesn't want to be around his dad. <laughs> and, uh, and so that scene, you know, that you can't have at that time. I think Anton was like 14 or 15. Wow. And obviously he's not going to do it. So I ended up um, doing the stunt and like swimming to shore uh, with it. And um, that was a really fun show too, because stalker Channing played his mom. And so for all the scenes he had to, he had to have been 14. Like he couldn't drive. And so like the, all the scenes where he, in the uh, show, he's, he's learning to drive. And, uh, and he couldn't legally. And so all of the scenes where he's driving around, I'm photo doubling him. What? And, uh, and I got to drive with Stalker Channing and just like chauffeur her around with a production trailer following behind us. It was like, it was, that was cool. That was actually a really fun gig too. So you must pinch yourself sometimes in those moments, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I really do. And even now, you know, as a, a you know, cause I'm semi-retired from the business. I, uh, I, you know, I started at six years old. So mm. after 20 years. And you're only like 25 now, people. right? So like, yeah, you know. I know, right? Geez. That's right. Uh, so after, you know, at 25, I was like, <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm retiring. Mm. I'm retiring from the business, which made sense. And uh, I went back and, you know, I pivoted and, and started careers. I actually haven't, I didn't do a lot for almost a decade. And then slowly I got back into the, into acting so again, uh, more out of a hobby now when mm-hmm. my agent phones and it's like, Hey, there's this thing. Do you want to do it? I do it, um, actually more to, um, to be with my daughter. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's been doing a lot of film and television work and every once in a while I actually get to play her dad oh, on film, that's which incredible. is like super fun. So that, that got me back into it. But, um, yeah, now as being a professional speaker, I, I still pinch myself cause, um, I've, I've gotten to meet some of the people that I would love to have worked with on film, mm. um, but on stage, like mm. uh, in uh, March of 2020, uh, just before the world decided to shut down, <laughs> yes. uh, I got to um, work with Arnold Schwarzenegger at no an event. Way. And um, I'll be speaking with him again um, in a couple of months, actually, he'll, he, I won't be speaking with him. He will be the headliner on stage and I will be much earlier on in the day, but I will get to be and share a stage, uh, with the, the governor. So that'll be, that's, that's fun to 
that's cool. Well, and I do, I do pinch myself. I'm like, what? <laughs> well, Tyler, seriously, uh, you gotta, you gotta hook us up with uh, Arnie. You know, like, uh, yeah, oh yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you can make it to Phoenix or right. Toronto, Bindi, well, I've Oof. got tickets for you. I well, promise. I'll be I'll be in the states later this year, so uh, you know it's six yeah. degrees of separation. Yes. We can make it work. Hey, just plan that. Mm. Just plan that trip for September, and mm. I'll have you over. Oh, I'll be just after that. So, well, let's talk. Let's talk. October for October for Toronto. You're um, good. You're oh, good. Yeah, okay, cool. We're done. We're done. Um, <laughs> but you know, when you were talking about um, the Houdini thing. And um, being dead body number whatever, um, one thing one, one. one okay uh, one thing that came to mind for me uh, was a kind of a, a connection in that you know what you do now in your public speaking and helping other people in public speaking and, and share their message is that level of fear you know like being locked in a box being in a morgue. Being a dead body, having to hold your breath, having to, you know, be something that you're not, that mm-hmm. same fear is there when you get up in front of I don't know how many people and try to share your message. Am I right? Yeah. And actually the funny thing is, is um, I would say even more so because – you know, as an actor, I was able to hide behind the talent of many, many other people who were there. We were all there to make each other look good and we could rely on each other. And I was speaking somebody else's words. So if mm. the audience didn't like it, it wasn't me. It was the guy <laughs> who wrote this stuff. Yeah. And um, for me now, um, you know, I... I've always been unabashedly and unashamed of my own voice and my own words. So I don't have a problem, but I've in the people that I coach now in public speaking, um, I see it as the, probably the most common theme. You know, a lot of people think they're afraid of public speaking and the reality is they're, they're not. Most of us are not actually afraid of public speaking. If we were commerce, as we know, it would collapse You know, if anybody has ever been to a restaurant and ordered food, you spoke in public. And uh, if you (laughs) didn't know your wait staff before you did it, you spoke to a complete stranger. And if the food that you requested was actually successfully brought to your table, you were able to ask for something that you wanted and have the universe provided for you. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public or afraid to speak to strangers or we're afraid to ask what we want for is completely and totally null and void. If you've ever been to a restaurant, uh, the reality is we're afraid of public judgment. And that's the bit that I have to coach people to get over. And that's where I have um, experienced stage fright myself is not from the act of actually being on stage, but from the worry and fear of how I'm going to perceive be perceived by other people while I'm on that stage and have that platform. Um, and I've definitely, uh, battled that the imposter syndrome a few times, you know, <laughs> when I'm on stage just before the governor or former governor <laughs> of California, for example, <sighs> you sit backstage going, they're going to know. <laughs> <I shouldn't." laughs> 
Somebody will figure it out. <laughs> I mean, you know, when you get in that situation, okay, so, you know, you say, okay, <clears throat> let's give you a scenario, which I think you're about to go into just honestly, is uh, you've got a TED Talk happening, right, and uh, mm-hmm. Arnie's up there with you and you're tag-teaming mm-hmm. up there on the stage. Um, mm-hmm. You're about to go out. You don't know Arnie's going to be there and fear hits you. You've just frozen and everything in your brain's completely left you and you're like, oh, this is not going to go well. What do you do in that moment? Like, what do you do? Like, how do you bring yourself back to the present moment and go, yeah, I'm up on stage next to Arnie and I'm going to make this work? Well, first of all, I don't know that I would ever get to be up on stage with him. But if I did, wow, that would be cool. Mm. And But you'd actually, um, something that you'd said it had alluded to the, the way to deal with it, and that is to be in the moment. Because mm. um, a lot of times the fear is coming from um, either focusing on a past event or projecting into a future event. Even if it's moments into the future, uh, you're still not present and the the real key the real secret to a calming those nerves and or just better yet right prevention is better than a cure not getting to that point to begin with is Mm. focusing on your audience Mm. Uh, it's really hard to be worried because stage fright um and that fear is coming from an internal driving mechanism that is usually very egocentric and, and driven from an internal uh worry about perception and if you focus on your audience, it's really hard to then be focused on you. And, you know, what if scenarios were, well, what if they figure out that I shouldn't be up here? What if uh, I bomb? What if I forget all of this stuff? What if they're, I'm not funny? What if I, they don't think I'm funny, even though I think I'm funny? What if I don't deliver? Like all of that stuff is very egocentric, where if you concentrate on your audience, what do they need? How do you give, how do you provide value to them? What do they need in this moment? Um, and that can be as simple as literally asking them, you know, who here needs this information? And then you know who you're speaking to. Um, that is is usually, you know, that that first step forward into calming those nerves. The other thing is, is I would uh, never take the stage um, and haven't in, in decades, literally decades, uh, without preparing myself mentally first to be on stage. So if I am going to have a moment of panic, it's going to be before I ever step onto a platform where people are looking at me. Um, and at, at once I take the stage, there's a no turning back, but I'm already mentally prepared to be in that space so that I'm not, I'm not having that moment of panic while I'm on there. Mm. Um, and I can honestly say that in the, f- four decades that I've been doing this, I've only experienced stage fright on stage uh, twice. And I clearly and distinctly remember them. And the last time I was 17 and the first time I was 14. And both of those came as a direct result of a lack of preparation. And I I learned very rapidly that I would never put myself into that position again. Mm. First time was by accident. The second time was by absolute laziness. And, uh, and I vowed never to have it happen again. So far, it hasn't. 
Mm. And, you know, uh, a lot of people uh, would know from listening to this show that uh, I also have a, a daytime job uh, in, in the corporate world uh, in addition to doing this. And um, one thing that I see a lot in a lot of people is that they struggle with the judgment that other people have of them, uh, particularly when they need help or they're struggling. Uh and trying to help someone understand that, you know what, it's okay, you need help, reach out, you need to, you know, make other people understand how you're struggling, do it, you're not going to be judged. Um, that's something that, you know, like, really actually resonated for me today um, in, in, in my work. And I was like, hmm, you know what, if you need help, just reach out, you're not going to be judged, you're going to be supported. Um, that's, that's just the human default for me. Um, how do you help people get through that? You know, like a lot of people, like we look at social media, we look at the media, all kinds of stuff. It is judgment. It is ego. How do people get beyond that? Well, I think the first thing is stop looking at social media. Yeah. Right. (laughs) I, um, although to to be honest, like, cause I am, I am a very, odd and backwards individual. Um, I remember the first time I got trolled for Mm -hmm. content that I posted being so happy about it because it meant that I had finally (laughs) after years, (laughs) years on social media said something that mattered, (laughs) you You know, cut through where, yeah, and it wasn't it wasn't a, a repeat of of anything, you know. Like it, it certainly wasn't political. Um, it was, you know, the posting of my content, and one of the things was, you know, pointing out um, the statistic of seventy seven percent of people uh, claiming to have a fear of public speaking. And I got this this guy just kept coming at me, telling me how I was wrong and that that's you know, that statistic is skewed and it's, and it's old and it's outdated and the methods that they were using to, to get it and the polls that they were using, the questions were leading. And and like, he just went off and I'm like, you obviously aren't aware of my content. Mm. Um, but I am glad that, that you, a, that I had the reach for you to notice this, that you are educated enough to know what I know. Um, you need to dig a little bit further before you start attacking this and then go from that. And then I got another one to, um, uh, former guest on your show and Ooh. my current business partner, Ooh. Michael Harris, and I've I run yes. a, uh, uh, a podcast challenge mm. where we, um, encourage people and show them how they can be on a hundred podcasts in a hundred days. Mm. And there was a, a guy who went off about how it was mathematically impossible to do it. And he's like, just uh, assuming assuming you can even get on two shows a month, maximum is 24 in a year. And I went using that math. I would agree with you completely. Uh, but I have been on over 300 in just under a year. And I assure you, if you do two a day for, uh, five days a week, that's 10 shows a week, which is entirely possible to do. It's very easy. That's only two hours a day Mm. of your time maximum. And uh, you do that for 10 weeks, that's two and a half months. And that's under a hundred days. 
and you can entirely completely get on a hundred podcasts doing that. Now it takes a little bit of planning up front. It's not like you just get on them, but yeah. uh, you can definitely be booking that in that process. And it is a very easy thing to do. And we have an entire thing to teach you how to do it. So if you think it's impossible, come join the challenge. It's free. And, uh, <laughs> and so, you know, to, to receive that kind of <laughs> negative backlash was again, for me entertaining, because it meant that I was saying something that was relevant enough that people needed, felt the need to clap back and say that I couldn't. And, and that was interesting, but to the initial question of how do we get over that fear of judgment with, from other people is to realize that the people who are judging you negatively, aren't your audience. Amen. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're not, not the people. people who you're, yeah, they're, they're not the people you're trying to impress. You are never going to impress hundred percent of the people hundred percent of the time. And if you try to, you're going to be exhausted and, and truly experience failure. Mm. <laughs> like that's true failure uh, because you, it's just not going to happen. Uh, the reality is it, the people who are listening to you are on your side. Like if you have an audience that's there, those are your people. Yeah. Like, they're there. Yeah. And, you know, cause we as human beings are remarkably self-centered and selfish. And so mm. we don't do anything that doesn't serve ourselves. So if I'm going to show up at some place, even if it's like a workplace environment where I have been voluntold to give, I don't know, a presentation on last quarter's sales statistics and everybody else is required to be at this meeting, um, because the boss told us so, and we listen to what the boss has to say, um, those people are still on your side because they, they don't want their time wasted, mm. right? We, we, or they wouldn't show up, especially right now, we would come up with an excuse not to be in that meeting. Even if it's a mandatory meeting, we <clears throat> come down with something that's <laughs> probably best if I don't attend this thing. So I'm just going to duck out, right? We just wouldn't show up. And so the audience is on your side. And if you've been asked to give the presentation, we don't ask second best to do the thing. We ask the best person, the most qualified person at that time to do it. So if you have been asked to give this presentation, even if you've been voluntold, it's because nobody else could do it better than you. So that makes you the expert or the authority in that subject matter at that time period. And so knowing that you're the expert and knowing that the audience is on your side is 90% of the battle. The other 10% is that stop comparing yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Don't go on the social media. Don't look at the haters. It's very easy for me to be like, well, I'm not Tony Robbins because I'm not. And I never will be, mm. you know, Tony and I are completely, totally different human beings in all aspects of the word. I mean, he, the man is literally a giant mm, yeah. <laughs> and I, I stand at a whopping five foot seven at the best of times, <laughs> you know? So I am just a large personality. <laughs> he, he's Tony Robbins. And if I was to constantly compare myself to Tony, I would fail. Mm. And, and it's same with people who compare themselves to me. And I, it's a mistake that a lot of my clients make initially. They're like, well, you're doing this and I want to do that. And I'm like, it's great to want to do this, but you're never going to do it the way that I do it. Mm. I do it my way. You do it your way. And these stages that I've had will never be duplicated. I never do the same performance. I never do the same thing. And it, again, it's a lesson that I learned very early on being in theater at six years old was that um, once the show was once the curtain comes down on that show, 
that show will never be performed again. Mm. And tomorrow's tomorrow's run is a totally different one. And so you have to enjoy being in that moment and, and being comfortable with who you are at that time. And so the best way to get over that fear of judgment is to stop comparing yourselves to other people. And again, it becomes that focus on your audience. What can I do for my audience? How can I show up in my best, most powerful way right now to serve them? And remember that they only need one takeaway. Mm. You don't have to give them the whole world. If they just take one thing away, you've provided value to them. So what is that one thing? And if you need to expand on it, if you deliver more than that, great. What is the one thing that you need to give them? What is the one thing they need to walk away with? And if you can do that, they're on your side. You are the expert. You are the authority. And that's all you've done. So focus on your audience. Take the focus off of you. And for the love of all things, please don't compare yourself to anybody else because that is... That's the route to the dark side. <laughs> oh, I could not agree with you more. And, uh, you know, like Tyler, in uh, the spiritual coaching that I do, um, I have a lot of clients who are trying to find their message amongst, you know, all, all the noise out there and, and mm-hmm. find their voice. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned in all my years in radio and also in podcasting is that um, there's also a level of intuition there, you know, like where you've got to listen to your gut, you know, listen to yourself. Um, And I know, um, particularly for me, people who listen to this show, they will see a difference in the last year or so in the episodes in that I truly rely upon my intuition and my gut to know whether a guest will work. And if they don't, they don't get published. Simple as that. And... (laughs) Some of those people are probably listening now, I'm sorry, but if it don't feel right, I'm not letting it out there to the universe Um, because, you know, it's the right thing for you and me. Uh, if we're well, not and your connecting. audience, like that, exactly. that's you being of service to mm. everybody who's involved. Mm. If it didn't work, um, there's no point in, in mm. putting that out there. And that's, you know, that that's the joy of doing something that's pre-recorded. You know, it's a little bit harder when it's live. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right. Can't reel this one back in. Let's just save this. Evidence. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that's an important thing to recognize too, that, uh, not everybody is a fit. Mm, not everybody's totally. a fit and you don't and and that and the, that's the other thing is it's okay mm, <laughs> it's okay it's that completely not okay a fit. Yeah. yeah yeah and 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 this is the thing that I, I really want to raise right now Tyler is that right here right now you're in Canada I'm in Brisbane Australia and the connection you and I have right now energetically and emotionally is like we're in the same room that's why I know this is working. Yes. And you're looking yeah. me right in the eyes with your gorgeous eyes, can I just say, and I'm just like. <laughs> you can, thank you. We are, <laughs> it's like we're in the exact same room um, and yeah. we are on the exact same page. So I know this is just, I don't even need to think about it. It is just, it just is. Yeah, really the only the only problem is that, you're in the right spot and I'm in the wrong spot. (laughs) Man, man, do I, oh, do I ever, ah, if, if I'm, I'm looking forward to when I, when I can get back down to the Southern hemisphere and, and play around on the gold coast again. Oh, 
Yes. Well, that's not far away from me. So when you come back down, yeah. let's catch up because, uh, yeah, it is is good times down here. I mean, it's it's a bit cold right now, not anywhere near how it would be in Canada, can I just say, but it's been a little bit cold today. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know. Oh, it dropped down to 10, maybe even 12 degrees. Do you know what? That's horrible. Mm. Did you just attempt an Australian accent? No, God, no. Go on, do it. I know do way it, do better. It, do it. Here's, here's, here's the accent <laughs> that I can I can do a really good French accent, right. although it's... Um, well, you're in uh, Canada. Uh, a horrible, yeah, but that's the thing. It's a horrible mm. hybrid of a Quebecois accent and a proper Parisian accent. And I do actually know the difference between the two because I grew up in Canada making fun of the Quebecois. My apologies to my <laughs> French neighbors. And um, I do a pretty decent Russian accent. Mm. Uh, three different versions of Scottish, and all of them are bang on, I'm told. Uh, miserable Irish cannot do an Irish. My Irish sounds like uh, a really bad cartoon version. And um, <laughs> if I try to do an Australian accent, it becomes my Irish accent, which becomes a really bad. Yeah, I, oh no. And the worst is, is I have so many Australian friends and I lived down there for, uh, you know, a time. And um, I, I just know that I can't do it well. Um, and it, I don't, I don't often try. I, if my wife wants to be entertained one day, you know, she'll be like, try it. And I'm like, mm, no. Mm, mm, I, no. I do challenge a couple people to it. And I have friends in uh, the States and uh, when they do try, it sounds very cockney. Like it's, um, you know, uh, just so wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah, because it, 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 you, you want to do this one, right? But, and, and then it comes right. Then it comes across a little cockney. Yeah. But uh, I, this, this is about... A about as good as I can get it, Oof. and it's not even. That's that is very yeah. English. That is very English, bro. Oh, it's so English. Man. Yeah, yeah. But then, but then you want you want to get a proper Cockney in it, governor. Oof. Now, now I can actually take it, and I can take it where it needs to be. Um, but it's <laughs> not. It's not good. It's not good. But the Scottish, oh, yeah, right. Eh? That laddie, that's bang on. Oof, that is bang on. That really is. A lot of people say to me that I sound English and a little bit Kiwi uh, at the same time, but I just I just have a clear accent. I think. Uh, yeah, you're like no, I just I just enunciate. <laughs> I'm still yes, Australian. I just, I just finish the words, or I try to. Um, but <laughs> I, I love fooling with accents. It's it's, it's good fun, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I, if I spend time around someone who has an accent that is not the same as mine, look out, I sound like them within 15 minutes. That's pretty much how I work. Yeah, I definitely need a little bit more immersion time than that. Um, I have had to copy. Do you know what the worst part is, Bindi? I had the opportunity to audition for um, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. No And Yeah, for the musical version of it. Uh, But they you'd have a good Australian accent and it, I literally have to work up weeks of listening to, you know, uh, the Helmsworth brothers <laughs> in various films just to be able to like get, get it up and, and uh, uh, you know, listen to some Russell Crowe too. <laughs> and just like, you know, just to, just to try and mimic and pattern it. And, uh, and I just couldn't, I couldn't pull it off in time. It just crushed me. It crushed me. Cause I could, I could do the song. I can do the choreography. Mm-hmm. 
but I couldn't, I just couldn't nail the accent in time. And that's so funny, you know, because um, <clears throat> I also do narration part-time uh, as another side gig and I'm actually narrating a book at the moment, which is an Australian novel. And, um, yeah, so I have to do all these different Australian characters, uh, which is easy for mm-hmm. me because, you know, that that's what I am. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, I sp- like I said, I spend so much time um, with people from the U.S., that my accent has changed. Um, like mm-hmm. I really pronounce my R's a lot more <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. hmm, that doesn't sound like me anymore. <laughs> um, but also yeah. I find really funny, particularly with Canadians, um, how they uh, pronounce their vowels. Mm. Do you pick yeah. that one up like like a boot? Oh, I do. And, <laughs> and, well, and So, yes, a, a, a boot and a boot mm. um, is a, is actually a thing. So you tell a Canadian that we say that and they will all be like, oh, we don't sound <laughs> That's ridiculous. Get out of here. And you're like, you just literally did it. Yeah. Um, uh, And it's really hard for me because most of what I audition for is American film Mm -hmm. and television. And so we have to get it out of our vocabulary. And I have to be very, very conscious of how I pronounce uh, rough, which is a roof, apparently, um, (laughs) and out uh, which I would want to say oot. Um, uh, what's a couple of the other ones? Oh, um, first of all, Americans never apologize. So I don't often have to say that I'm sorry, but I need to say that it's, I'm sorry. Like it's an East Indian woman's dress versus sorry, sorry. which is how I want <laughs> yeah. to say it. Like, you know, I've, bruised myself and added an IE to the end of it because (laughs) now I'm trying to be Australian and I've got my sunnies and I'm sorry. Oh, you came very close there. It was very close. Well done. Hey, well done. Here's the thing. I know all the slang. I just don't (laughs) say it the right way. (laughs) (laughs) I've had so many people ask me about different kind of Australian slang from all around the world. And you're like, okay, all right, I'll break it down for you. You know, like I know there was one episode, I I was actually on another podcast and they were like, oh, so what is, what is the Savi mean? And I was like, and what means this afternoon, you know, and like Australians just like, we cut everything down. We make things simple, basic, Bogan, yeah. stupid. <laughs> you know? Why would you say a bathing s- can say swimmers? Like, well, we don't even say that. Makes sense. And that's that's and again, that's the other weird thing, you know. Like within Australia, there's uh, like as there would be there is there's different kind of slang within the different states. Mm-hmm. You know, like up here we say togs, we don't say swimmers or bathers. It's, yeah, yeah, very, very English. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, t- trust me. I know. I, yeah. <laughs> and it, but that's again, that's one of the things that I love the most about just the world in general and my job that I get the privilege to study these things mm. and see regional difference, uh, but also to experience it. Like, I mm. the, like it's so much fun that I have traveled as much as I have and to be able to expose my wife to that now and and now even or my daughter getting to um show her the, literally the world um that is m- much more than beyond our front door and for me to have had the the real joy of experiencing that at a young age and seeing you know that this is a very, very, very diverse culture 
And my extremely small pocket of the world is not the world. It just happens to be my space within this earth of ours um, has been really fundamental in my development and my growth. And I think it's one of the things that really drives me forward with what I do is that constant want to show my daughter, hey, look at this fun thing. And to be able to do what I do and to be able to bring my family along with me on occasion is is amazing. You know, like the, the even the fact that my daughter's had a passport for as long as she mm, has. Yeah. You know, yeah, I think she's had her passport since she was two years old. Wow. And you know, and not that we get to use it very often because <laughs> for half of her life she hasn't been allowed to travel. But mm. you know, uh, we when we could, we did, and and you know, and I've gotten to do some really cool things too. Like you know, I my daughter was obsessed with space and astronauts mm. uh, when she was one years old. Um, I grew up in a very uh, small rural community, and my family still farms. Um, we have a, a, an acreage just east of the town that I grew up in. And, um, one night, uh, my daughter was barely one years old and my mother's husband, her gramps, mm. uh, took her out and they were lying, um, on the grass, beautiful night, clear, clear skies. And you can see millions of stars because uh, there's absolutely no light pollution where we're at. Mm. And he pointed up to her. He said, you see that, that star that's moving in the sky? And Kenzie said, yes. And he said, that's the International Space Station. There's astronauts on it and they're moving right now. And she was fascinated by the fact that there were people in space. And so then they looked it up because right is the internet mm-hmm. and at, at every one and a half year old has access to some form of electronic <laughs> device and they understand how to use it better than their parents. Mm-hmm. So her and Gramps looked up the international space station. And then she started to learn about Chris Hatfield, who is Canadian and yep. one of the, you know, uh, longest, mm-hmm. um, tenures of, of astronauts that have been on the international space station. And, she got to, you know, see videos of him and how he's floating and all that. Anyway, she was obsessed with space. And then I um, got invited to a, uh, a speaking tour around Houston. And I actually got to speak at Mission Control. <gasps> and so I have pictures of me at Mission Control on stage with the big NASA logo mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a re- an actual for real space suit. I got to meet and speak with the the gentleman who um, fits every astronaut into the spacesuit so that they can actually um, function there because they're all literally custom tailored, which makes sense. You wouldn't think about it until you like think about it. Mm. And you're like, oh, well, of course. And yeah, you don't have a one-size-fits-all human being. So mm. you definitely don't have one-size-fits-all spacesuit to encapsulate said human being yeah. while they walk around in the dangers of space. That vacuum will suck you out. And, uh, so I got to, I got to do these things and, you know, and then, then now I'm, you know, daddy's been to NASA. Mm. So that's, that's, that was really cool. And I just, I just love this career because I get to do stuff like that. Like just, just listening to you, uh, tell that story. I, like, you, uh, yeah, I, you took my breath away in, in that minute there where you, you know, got to go to mission control and do that because I also was one of those kids that loved space um, yeah. believe it or not, and I can remember, uh, may have been about 
grade six or seven back mm-hmm. in the day. Yes, it was a long time ago. Um, when Haley's Comet came through, mm-hmm. we could see it here in yes. Australia. <clears throat> and I can remember standing on the veranda. We call them a veranda. It's like a balcony here yeah. yeah. uh, uh, of my parents' house. They're still in that house uh, in, in a little country town about 45 minutes from where I am right now. And I can remember getting up in the middle of the night, we set the alarm and I had the little, uh, you know, the little measurement thing and mm-hmm. um, we got out there and we, we all as a family watched Haley's Comet go through the sky and I still remember it all these years later of how incredible that was to watch that moment in time. And, yeah. you know, I was so fascinated by space and I still am, like just the constellations and the stars and where they are and the times of the year and the different hemispheres. And I know when I go to the Northern Hemisphere later this year, it's going to be a completely different thing and that fascinates me too. But it's just, yeah. you know, like I was one of those kids too and I still kind of am, you know, like if I could go to the planetarium every day, I'd be happy, you know. It's just yeah. one of those things. And to be at wonder regardless of the age that you are and still love that, I think that is living. Oh, and and it's one of the greatest gifts that Mm. my daughter has brought to me Mm. is being able to re-experience the world through her eyes Mm. and have that sense of wonderment again. And, you know, and the, and the why, the why, the why, the why, the why, um, the things that she's fascinated by and, and, you know, the things that she's not afraid of and the things that she is afraid of. And it's, it's all fascinating to me. Um, and I, it, it's really cool. And it's funny that, that you, that Haley's common is one of your memories. That's one of my most distinct memories of my father before he passed away mm. was doing that same thing. Um, leaving our front porch step, getting away from the light pollution. Mm. Uh, we had a, a sextant to, to track where we were supposed to be looking. And then, uh, he had a telescope and I had a set of binoculars and we'd switch back and forth between the two. He'd get Haley's comment in, you know, really, really clearly into mm. the telescope. And then we'd look at it, um, decently magnified with the binoculars, but really, really close up. You'd continue to, uh, track it with the, with the telescope and, you know, being up, I'm sure it wasn't the middle of the night, the way that I think it is in my head. Um, because at the time I think, yeah, I would have been four or five years old. Um, but to be able to have experienced that with him, you know, that was a shared thing that me and him got to do. And I try to do that with Kenzie too. Like I, I have woken her up. So he, he, why do, am I okay being up at three o'clock in the morning, Bindi? Because it's not the <laughs> that's first time where I've magic woken up happens. in the middle of the night to do. Yeah. It's not the first time I've had to wake up to do something that's really, really cool and really, really fun. And, uh, you know, I'll wake her up if there's like a, a meteor storm or I've woken her up for lunar eclipses so that she could see the lunar eclipses. Mm. Um, and we have a great, great observatory just um, west of town. One of the, again, privileges I have of growing up where I grew up, and, and Australia is not unlike this either. Uh, we have literally minutes from our front door an area in the foothills called Dark Sky Country, and it's mm. literally dotted with hundreds 
of um, amateur and professional observato uh, observatories. And um, the Rosted Observatory, which is run by the University of Calgary um, and funded both provincially and nationally, I believe, is, is 20 minutes down the road for me. And where um, my daughter goes to school, they actually have a professional observatory on campus at the school. So like for all those reasons, I, 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 as you can tell, very much obsessed with the stars. I actually applied twice to be a junior astronaut and oh. go down um, for space camp. I never, I didn't get selected, but I, and it just crushed me. And then, uh, and then my pursuits changed and I did get accepted to um, uh, a performing arts summer camp. So uh <laughs> Guess which one I ended up going to. <laughs> Where did my life lead? <laughs> Not to space, but to stage, which is a dark space on itself. And it just shows, um, you know, like uh, I've I've got some very close what I call soulmates or soul sisters in uh, in in the US. And uh, one of the one of the gifts I give them for very important um, occasions is I buy them a star. I buy them their own star or um, I buy them something that relates to the moon or the stars or, or something like that. And, uh, like, there's nothing greater than that. I just think it's so cool, you know, like, and I know um, most people will not have seen your reaction when I mentioned Haley's Comet, but you just lit up. Like, you just you just set on fire. And that that yeah. just made my day, can I just say. Well, hopefully they can hear my excitement because <laughs> <laughs> they may not be able to see the joy mm. that talking about Haley's Comet brought to you and me both, but <laughs> hopefully it translated through the audio. You can hear just the, just the pure joy that I have talking about the stars. Now, Tyler, this conversation has not gone anywhere near where I thought it would go, but... No. <laughs> it's been but it went exactly where it needed to exactly it's been absolutely incredible and i know that you're one of those people that i could just sit and talk to all day but like your book give us a mm -hmm. quick breakdown of what that's about um the very 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 quick breakdown of it is uh, it is a book not for professional public speakers, but for the people who look at professional public speakers and go, I don't even get why you would do that. Mm. And the idea is to give people a very simple, easy to follow blueprint on essentially finding their own confidence, finding their own voice and finding their own story. Because I strongly believe that everybody has a story to tell. In fact, it's one of the first things that I do in any of the workshops that I conduct is I, it takes literally two minutes to discover what your stories are. We can, I know we only have four minutes left, you and I, and we can take two of it and just have the people at home follow along. All they need to do is take their age, round it up to the nearest five. So for me, 43, I'm going to round up to 45. Then you take that number, you divide by five, and that will give you a set even number of time periods. So for me, I'm going to take my uh, 45, I'm going to divide by five, that's going to give me equal time periods of nine. So we should have five equal time periods. Now, if you're a stickler and you're like, yeah, but I'm 
I've rounded up and I didn't experience those two years. Okay, well, then some quick <laughs> math. You either round it up by one or two because that's how this math works. Couldn't have been more or you would have had to round down. So I, don't like up rounding up. I don't like this rounding yeah, exactly. up. I don't like this rounding up. Yeah, exactly. Don't do the round don't, up. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> so you round it up by one or two. So just deduct that from your last time period. And so for me, it would be a, a time period of seven years. Or if you had to round down, then you take that either one or two and you tack that onto your first time period. So if you round it up, you subtract it from your last time period. If you rounded down, you add to your first time period. And then for those super sticklers, you can do it that way. Or you can just stick with the easy math because easy math is easy and you just <laughs> go with you know the five even time periods. Here's where the fun comes in. I want you to think back to that first time period, whatever it is for me, uh, zero to nine for your your listeners, it's whatever number you came up with. That first time period, what is the first memory that springs to mind when you think of you at that time? Whatever that memory is, don't overthink of it. Like literally you've got 10 seconds, 10 seconds tops. What's the first memory? It could be a color. It could be a smell. It could be a sound. It could be a very vivid image or it could be kind of like an ethereal shadow thing. But something comes to mind when you think of that time period, write it down and then do that again for the next four time periods. Mm. And you should have five memories. Mm -hmm. And it's the ones that spring to mind instantly. Your stories are encapsulated in the exploration. And this takes longer than the two minutes that we had. Mm. Your stories are the exploration of why those memories are so significant to you. And as you explore that, you will find out why it's significant to you and your retelling of it will be why it's significant to your audience by asking, what did I need to learn in each one of these things? What are the lessons that I learned from each one of these memories? And therefore, what lesson can I impart to my audience? And those are the stories that you can tell. So the power to speak naked is designed to show people that they do have a story within them, that they can tell that story and uh, most of the book is dedicated to finding that inner strength, that inner power to be truly vulnerable and speak the raw naked truth and feel comfortable doing it. Wow. That's incredible. And, you know, uh, one of the things that came through when I spoke to Michael was, uh, you know, one of the lessons that came through my very first podcast that I did was, you know, I was telling the story, telling my story. Um, of, you know, when I was 19 and I fractured my ankle. And, um, you know, I was like, why am I telling everyone all the things that have gone wrong with me? Like, who am I to think I'm, you know, any better than anyone else? Like, what am I learning from this? And I sat in that for a minute and I went <clears throat> and I listened. And what came back was it's all about learning from the fall. Mm -hmm. And it's the strength in getting back up again. I always joked that it was like a Chumbawamba song, I get down, I get back up again. Uh, it's like, you know, a trampoline. Uh, but that that was what my lesson was, you know. Like no matter how many times you fall down, it's about getting back up. It's the strength in getting back up. And Well, and here I thought the lesson was to drink a whiskey drink, then drink well, a vodka drink, and then drink a cider drink. That wasn't the reason why I fell down, though. <laughs> okay. Well, then you're yeah. right. If it the was, that was different. is how you get back up again. Yes. <laughs> but that was the joke in it, right? So, um, and, and that is, 
it's kind of a theme that comes through this and that's that's what you're picking up there is um you know um you know i just love how you've demonstrated that and and picking up those moments in time that do resonate with you and and why um what's the lesson you need to learn from it i mean so many of us attach blame guilt shame to so many things in our lives when that's not the lesson it's not the lesson at all no and you never know who needs to hear your story Mm. until you tell it exactly and you have no idea the impact that story can have Mm. until you tell it and uh i i've i've seen that lesson play out time and time and time and time and time again where you know it's a horrible example it's it's not the best one to tell but it's the one that we can tell in the time that we have it's the it's that time where you were in you know high school and you were writing an exam Mm. and everybody's staring at question seven and going (laughs) i don't get it i don't get it and finally one person raises their hand and they go excuse me teacher um it's question seven. I can, can you look, can I, I don't get it. I don't understand. It, and it doesn't make sense. And I, I think I understand the answer, but I can't find the right answer. And, and what am I missing? And the teacher looks at it and goes, Oh, I made a mistake. Sorry. It should be this thing. And then everybody else in the class goes, Oh yeah. yeah. I, was, I didn't want, I was, I was thinking the same thing. I was, And everybody has this, this side of relief, right? Everyone was struggling with the thing, but no one was brave enough to say it because they thought they were the only one. And then that one person who was brave enough to come up and be like, I think, I think there's something wrong here. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden everybody goes, yes, yes. And the people who hadn't gotten to that question yet were like, Oh, I'm glad they spoke up. Mm -hmm. I just dodged a bullet. And there were some people who were like, there was a mistake in that oh, freebie, right? Everybody learned, everybody learned from that, but it took that one brave person to speak up. And, and I've seen that play out in, in literally life saving scenarios. And I've seen it as trivial as just speaking up in, in an exam, but you never know who needs to hear what your story is and until you say it and who resonates with it is truly who uh, needs to be in your, your sphere. And that's it. It's having the courage to speak up and, and ask the question that you need without judgment. You know, we were going back to before now, uh, you know, we, we've talked about speaking naked uh, here, <laughs> Tyler. Highly uh, recommended by the way. That is something that uh, incites a fear in me. You would not imagine. Uh, but I like to think of myself a very confident uh, person. Uh, that's not a thing I want to touch right now. Um, but okay. if people want to find out more about you and uh, get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, the best thing they can do is hit pause on this, Bindi, because nine times out of ten you put in that information in the show notes. But before they go to check that out, what I would ask them to do, since they're already on a device, they're already listening mm. to you, if they're listening to the ethical evolution on a regular basis or if they're somehow involved with the ethical change agency and they're getting value out of what you provide, I would ask them, since they're already on the device, 
they're already listening to this wonderful conversation you and I have had over the last hour. Um, why not give you a five-star review? Because they're oh, already there. I love you. They're already listening. Mm. And if they're willing to do that as a favor to me, as a thank you for the time that you and I have shared together here, if they're willing to give you a five-star review and actually say, you know, why they're doing it, like what, what about the ethical evolution keeps bringing them back listening? Uh, maybe what was one of their favorite guests? Was it Michael? He's fantastic. Um, what, why are they coming and, and listening so that you just can provide better value? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, just, just put in my name. Yeah, That's yeah. okay. Um, but you know, let them know, uh, or have them tell you what they're getting out of this podcast so that you can serve them better. Mm. And if they're willing to do that favor for me, then they can come to SeanTylerFoley.com and Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S E A N T Y L E R F O L E Y. And if they come to my website, they can find all things about me. They can uh, learn about the book. They can figure out where I'm speaking next. Um, they can, if they come and as a thank you for leaving you the five-star review, if they click right on the front page, right above the landing, there's an invitation to join me and Michael in our Endless Stages Facebook group. If they come through the website, as opposed to going through Mark Zuckerberg's site and finding it that way, uh, <laughs> because they won't get all the freebies, but mm. if they come through my website to do it, I will give them a free PDF download of my book, The Power to Speak Naked. They will also get access to my video training series called Drop the Mic. And uh, they're going to get included in our Facebook group, Endless Stages, where Michael and I go live every Tuesday at uh, noon Pacific, three o'clock Eastern. You will have to convert it for Australian time. Uh, it's probably a, an ungodly hour It's uh, actually not. You. It's actually but not. It, it's actually. Oh, no, you're right. It's not yeah, too bad. No, it's, it's like it's seven in the evening. Mid-morning over here about that time. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's convenient. Mm. It's convenient for my friends in the Southern Hemisphere to come and join me and Michael. And we go live every Tuesday for 20 minutes and train um, on whatever the topic of the week is. And we usually pull that topic from whatever is being discussed within the group whatever the the key issue that people are struggling with. And we try to shed some light on to some of those things. So um, the last couple of trainings we did were the abundance of places to speak, mm -hmm. how to find those speaking engagements. We've talked about how to get over stage fright. We've um, done a lot in the recent months on how to get on podcasts, how mm. to find your message, how to find your audience, um, how to discover your stories, how to expand your stories and contract your stories so that you can tell them in uh, five seconds, five minutes and, and an hour. Um, and all of those things we, we love to do and we do it for free. So mm. if anybody wants some free stuff, come on over to SeanTylerFully.com, but only, only, if you're willing to give Bindi a five-star review, mm. no five-star review, no book for you. <laughs> you know what, Tolo, I'm going to make you a deal. Uh, how about I come and join you and Michael in the Facebook group and I help those people who want to be guests on podcasts to actually be better guests? Yeah. Yeah. By all yeah. means. I'll come help you. It's <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. I, I, it would be my joy and my pleasure to have special guests bindi yes. on for uh for a good go i will come and join you um and you know i as you know we've said previously i've had both you and michael on the podcast and it, it 
like just absolute magical time with both of you. Um, so I have the last big question for you, Tyler. I know we're running out of time. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> What's the change you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Oh, um, I'm doing my part already. I, it saddens me that because of my daughter's gender, that her voice is mm. still not perceived as strong as mine is. And that crushes my soul. Um, I, even when I dedicated my book and then because my book is dedicated to my daughter, um, she thinks it's her book, which I think is so <laughs> cute. Um, but I dedicated my book to say to my daughter, may you always have the courage to speak up for what you believe in and the confidence that your voice will be heard. And it is my mission to ensure that it doesn't matter, uh, the color of her skin, it doesn't matter her gender. It doesn't matter her nationality that she has a voice and that her voice matters. And that goes for every other person on this planet. I don't see why any one other person's experience should be diminished just because of who they are, what they do, who they love or where they grew up. And I'm making it my mission one person at a time to strengthen their resolve within their own spirit to know that they do have a story that they do have something to contribute to the world. And that not only does their story matter, but if they speak it, it will be heard by the people who need to hear it. And if I can do that over and over and over again, I will have created the change that I want to see. in the world. Oh, yes. And there has been so much just this week, um, as we all know, um, particularly mm-hmm. in the States uh, around that and particularly the sovereignty of, of women, uh, mm-hmm. which I just can't even fathom here in Australia. Um, you know, absolutely incredible that that kind of law is happening in 2022. Mind-boggling. I just, yeah, absolutely. We're going backwards. We're not going forwards. We are going mm-hmm. backwards. And this shit needs to stop. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Tyler, this has been an incredible moment in time with you. Thank you so much for making the time for this. I cannot thank you enough. I truly appreciate you. Thank you so much for being a part of the Ethical Evolution. Oh, thank you for the privilege of being on. Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. Miles, are you ready to record our promo for Season 2 of the Wanna Bet Podcast? David, have you ever seen a grown man naked? Miles, we're not here to quote lines from Airplane. We're here to tell people that Season 2 starts August 18th. But I like Airplane. I know you do, but Wanna Bet is a sports betting podcast. Each week we bet $1,000 on the NFL teams and games that we love. Well, that sounds like fun. It is fun. And last year you picked over 60% of your games correctly. How'd you do? We're not talking about that. We are telling people that they can find us every Friday. So no more movie quotes. Roger, Roger. Electric Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electricast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electricast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. 
We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electrocast.